Well, nothing like a creepy video to like prepare your hearts to celebrate that Jesus is alive, right? The tomb is empty. He has conquered death. Let's give him a big hand here this morning. Hey, we want to welcome you today to our Easter celebration here at Exponential Church. This is our first Easter in our brand new building. In fact, this is the first day that we've opened up this new building to the general public. So thank you for coming out and being a part of this. Let's give God another big hand for that. So awesome to be here as we celebrate that Jesus has indeed conquered death, conquered the grave. And so what I want to do today is I want to tell you two stories about a couple of thieves. Now, unfortunately, the first set of stories has to do with me. (laughs) See, before I became a follower of Jesus, I was working at a mall in a shop. And I was in my late teens at the time, and I saw these uh, younger teenagers that were coming in. They always had, like, the latest CDs. And I was like, I don't think these kids are working. Where in the world are they getting these CDs from? And eventually I said to them, how much allowance do your parents give you? And they're like, oh, we don't get an allowance. We're stealing these from the music store downstairs. Like, oh. A couple weeks later, they came in. They said, want anything? I said, sure. Give me the Millie Vanilli CD. <laughs> don't laugh at me. <laughs> they were good even if they were lip syncing. <laughs> Blame it on the rain. Yeah. Girl, you know it. No, I'm, I'm done. But, uh, you know, it was just, I was like, yeah, give, give me that Millie Vanilli CD. And so they stole it for me, and I paid $5 for it. Like half off, right? <laughs> well, we sort of had a little system going then. they come in, you want anything? i tell them what I want and give them five bucks. they go get it for me. Eventually, because I've always been sort of entrepreneurial, I got to thinking you know, I could be making some money off of this. So I started saying to my friends, what do you want? I'd pay these kids five bucks to go steal it, then I'd charge my friends seven. They were still getting a good deal. And then eventually I got to the place where I was like, you know what, that's not a very high profit margin. I could get them to steal bigger things and I could make some more in the margin. I was like a little mafia guy, right? I'm just like having them steal bigger and bigger and bigger things, and I'm making more and more and more money until they got caught. They got caught. And I thought for sure that they would rat me out. But they didn't. I deserved punishment. They got punishment. I deserved it, but I didn't get it. And today we're starting a a new series called I Deserve It. And what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks is the various things that we deserve, but yet we don't always get. See, there's four stories we're going to look at over the next four weeks where Jesus should have given people bad things, but instead, because of his love and his grace and his mercy, he gave them good things instead. Today we're going to look at the story of a of a guy that he deserved death. I mean, that's what he really deserved, but Jesus said, no, I'm going to give you life instead. Now, back to my story real quick. Because I was a part of stealing things, by definition, what did that make me? What's the title you would give someone like me and and those kids? We were what? Thieves, right. We were thieves. 
Now, be honest here this morning. How many of you ever stolen something? Come on, raise your hand. You've ever stolen something? Some of you are lying right now by not raising your hand. So not only are you thieves, you're liars too. <laughs> now, the, the fact of the matter is we've, we've all told even little white lies, right? We're, we're all liars. How many of you are adulterers? Let me see. Don't raise your hand for that. <laughs> Now, here, here's the thing. Jesus actually said this once. He said, even if you've looked lustfully at someone, it's as if though you've already committed adultery in your heart. So we're only a couple minutes into this message, and all of you have already admitted to being lying, thieving adulterers. Welcome to Exponential. <laughs> Maybe that should be the slogan for our new building, right? Exponential Church, home of lying, thieving adulterers. I guess the point that I'm trying to make here to you this morning, and it's really the, the big point that I want to make today, if you're taking notes, it's on your outline, and this is something that we all need to really grasp and, and own, and it's simply this, I am guilty of breaking God's laws. Can we actually say that together? I know it doesn't sound great, you know, it's like, ugh, you know, but we've all messed up, right? None of us are perfect, so can we just say that? I am guilty of breaking God's laws. Now, even though you just said that, most of you are going, yeah, Gilbert, but I'm not as bad as you were. I mean, I, I never like stole like stuff and paid kids off and stuff. I, I haven't done like really, really bad things. But here's what's interesting. Jesus' brother, uh, a guy by the name of James, he had this to say at one point. And let me just say this, by the way, because we're celebrating Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection today. Jesus' brother didn't become a follower until after Jesus rose again from the dead because, I mean, think about it. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? <laughs> He'd have to rise again from the dead. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. Jesus rises again from the dead and James becomes the leader of the early church. And so he writes this, he says in James 2.10, the person who keeps every law of God but makes one little slip is just as guilty as the person who has broken every law that there is. Here's what you need to understand. If you've told even just one little white lie, you're just as guilty as the terrorists on 9-11. If you've spread even just a little bit of gossip at any point in your life, you're just as guilty as a rapist. If you've told any lies, if you've done any sins, if you've committed any Thing that God didn't want you to do, please realize you're just as guilty as someone like Hitler. We're all guilty. And what is the, the punishment? What do we deserve for our sinfulness? The Apostle Paul in Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death, right? And what Paul is talking about here is we don't deserve just physical death. We also deserve spiritual death. The actual Greek word that he uses here is a word that literally means to be rejected from God's kingdom. Now today, whether you're in church for the first time or you've been in church for 50 years, I think all of us understand that if you're rejected from God's kingdom, that if you're not entering into the kingdom of God, if you're not entering into heaven, what's the only other alternative? Hell, right. Paul says that the wages, 
what you earn, what you deserve for your sinfulness is a very real place called hell. And so let me summarize the message so far for you today. We've all admitted to being lying, thieving adulterers who are guilty of breaking God's law, and really what we deserve for that is hell. Now that's the bad news. The good news is God says, even though that's what you deserve, I'm going to give you something different. I'm going to give you life instead. Now, to explain exactly how he does that, I want to tell you a a second story about a couple of thieves. It's found in Luke chapter 23. And there in Luke chapter 23, we find that Jesus is hanging on the cross, but he's not alone. In fact, here's what Scripture says in verses 32 and 33. Two others, both criminals, some translations say thieves, were led out to be executed with them. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, the other on his left. Now let's talk about crucifixion for a second. The Roman Empire, which is the time that, that Jesus lived, they didn't put up with much stuff. They were quick to execute anybody that they saw as a threat. And they had many ways that they could execute people. Crucifixion was reserved for like the really, really bad people. And there was a couple reasons for this. The first was this. Crucifixions were very, very expensive. You know, a lot of you probably think that, you know, if you get nailed to a cross, you're probably going to die within a matter of hours. That's not the truth at all. Most people hung for days on a cross. And to make sure that nobody came and stole the body or tried to help the guy that was there, you had to have four Roman guards guarding each and every one of the crosses, keeping people away. And of course, that meant 24 hours that you needed guards there. So probably, you know, two or three different shifts. So just from a a cost, from a labor standpoint, crucifixions were very, very expensive. And then again, Crucifixions were reserved to sort of make a point, to make a statement. Crucifixions were extremely painful and extremely humiliating. And the reason for that is the first thing that they would do is they would strip you naked, then beat you basically to the point of death, and then hang you on a cross. So imagine hanging there naked before your family and your friends and all the people in your town. For days. For days. And oftentimes what would happen is you go crazy. You're there in the baking sun for days. And eventually, once you died, many times the Romans would actually leave the body on the cross for a couple days even after that. And the birds would come and start to eat away at the dead body. It was sort of a way for the Romans to say, look, don't mess with us because we got plenty of other crosses where that came from. And so the fact that Jesus and these thieves were there hanging on the cross, it shows what a threat that they were. In Jesus' case, he was a a threat politically. He was a threat to the religious establishment of the day. And I don't know what these thieves stole, but it wasn't Millie Vanilli CDs. It must have been pretty bad if they got death on a cross. 
And then let's think about the cross from the, the point of the person actually being crucified. Again, I already mentioned, first of all, you're stripped naked, and then you were beaten, basically to the point of death, because again, they knew that you were going to hang there for days and days and days and days. So what they would do is they would whip you so much that the blood loss would, would be greater. That you would lose your willpower. You would lose a lot of your strength. They were trying to speed the process up a little bit. In Jesus' case, a, a crown of thorns was thrust onto his head because Jesus had said that he was a king. And they were mocking him saying, ha, king, look at what we've done to you. And so they, they thrust this into his head. And then they nail him to a cross. Now, when you hear the word nail, you think of just, you know, little carpenter type nails. What we're talking about here is like railroad ties. They would pound it through your feet. And then they pound it through your wrist. If you hold up your left hand real quick, feel like right here you got bones coming here. Actually, Ryan Butler broke both of these bones this week. But these two bones that you got here, what they would do is they would nail right between those two bones. And that's what you're hanging off of. Now, if that doesn't sound painful enough, here's something else you need to understand. Between there is what's called the ulnar nerve. It runs from your pinky down to your elbow. How many of you ever like hit your quote unquote funny bone? You ever hit that and you're like, oh, there's nothing funny about it, is it? It's like almost like an electrical shock when you hit it. Guess where that nerve runs? The pinky right between down to the elbow. So they drive these stakes right into that nerve. Now, how do you think somebody dies on a cross? What, what do you think is the most common cause of death? How, how do people die? Most people would say, well, it's probably blood loss, right? That you, you're, you're bleeding to death. That's not the truth at all. You know how they died? Suffocation. Because what would happen was they'd have you nailed so tight to that cross that it was hard to breathe. And so in order to take in a breath, you'd have to push up against where you were nailed in in order to breathe in. And then to exhale you would sink back down, and now you're hanging by your wrist there, and that ulnar nerve just lights up. It's on fire. The breathe in, back to your feet. It's so painful. Exhale, back down, and you would do this for days. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Eventually, people would get so exhausted from that process that they couldn't even push themselves up anymore to take that breath in, and they'd literally suffocate. A new word had to be invented to describe death on a cross, and the word is excruciating. X means out of and crucifixion excruciating, extreme pain, extreme suffering, extreme humiliation. And there's Jesus hanging and dying on a cross. Now, if that isn't bad enough, one of the guys decides to start mocking him. We read about it in verse 39. It says, one of the criminals hanging there also insulted Jesus by saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. 
Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, really? I mean, you're going to waste some of your last breaths on, like, mocking me? But before Jesus can even respond, verse 40 and 41, we read this, but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Now, here's what I want to suggest to you this morning, and I want to be respectful as I can with it. But from a spiritual perspective, every single one of you that are sitting here listening to me, every single one of you that are listening to this podcast, you are one of those two criminals. You are one of those two criminals. And what I want to do today is I want to sort of quickly go back and look at the statements that each one of them made and help you to start to determine for your own life, am I more like the first criminal that was insulting him or am I more like the second criminal that came to his defense? So again, the the first guy is insulting him. Go ahead, Mr. Messiah. Go and save yourself if you can. You, You say you're God, go ahead. Save yourself. And oh yeah, by the way, uh, save me too while you're at it. This guy's cocky. He's arrogant. He's full of pride. It's all about him. He only wants a relationship with God as long as God, you can do something for me. And see, unfortunately, I think that that's where a lot of people are in our society today. That it's all about you. About God, what can you do for me? You know, save me. I don't want to go to hell. Save me, but don't you dare ask me to do anything else. I'm going to live life the way I want to live it, but please give me that get out of hell free card. Again, many, many people in our society, including some of you, that's how you live. You only want a relationship with Jesus if you get something out of it. You don't want an authentic, true relationship with them. And what we got to understand is that's an entitlement mindset. That you think that you're entitled to something more than what you really are. That you deserve more than what you really have. See, I'm sure this thief on the cross, he thought, you know what? I don't deserve this. Oh, sure, I stole some things, but I don't deserve this type of humiliation. I don't deserve this type of punishment. I'm not all that bad. Think if we had to summarize this thief in just one word, we would use this. I put it on your outline. It's the word unrepentant. He was unrepentant. The word repentance means to not just be sorry that you got caught doing something, but to be so sorry about it that it actually breaks your heart that, that oh man, I, I've really truly messed up and, and I'm going to turn from that sin or turn from that bad thing that I've done and I'm going to go a different way. That's not that guy at all. He's not repentant. The other guy, on the other hand, Here's what he says. Don't you fear God? And that's a great question for you to ask yourself. Do I fear God or not? And when I say fear, I'm not talking like cowering in fear. What I'm talking about is a reverence for God. A respect where you honor him. Do you fear God 
or not? Do you realize that you are not in control and he is? Do you realize that he's the one that gets to make the rules and you don't? See, I think this second thief, he recognized his own sinfulness. He says, we deserve to die here. But then he also recognizes who Jesus is. He says, he doesn't deserve it. Why? Because he knew that Jesus had been perfect. Jesus had lived a perfect and sinless life. He didn't deserve this death on a cross. I think if we had to summarize him, it would be repentant. That this guy was repentant. He was not only sorry, he he didn't just recognize that he had guilt, but he cried out to Jesus for help. Now let me tell you why that's important. Almost 23 years ago now, when I became a follower of Jesus, it was a time that times were changing, but it was still a a time that people would admit their sinfulness, that, man, I messed up, I I sinned. And it was still even okay to call out sins in other people's lives to say, man, you've messed up, you've sinned against God. But we live in a society today where you can't do that. The people say, yeah, I am imperfect, but don't you dare call me a sinner. You're judging me for the things that I've done in my life. And yeah, I haven't been perfect, but man, I'm doing the best that I can. And if you want that Jesus junk, then you you do that. But don't you dare judge me. Don't you point your finger at me. Don't you dare share your religion with me. I'm okay. I'm not a bad person. But here's the problem with that. Anytime you say that you're not a bad person, what you're doing is you're comparing yourself to people around you. Here's the deal. The person sitting next to you right now, you may be way better than them. Maybe you haven't done some of the things that they did. And guess what? It makes you feel pretty good about yourself, doesn't it? In fact, go ahead and elbow the person next to you and tell them, you know what? Because of you, I feel pretty good about my... No, don't do that. Don't do that unless it's the truth. Then you can do it. But no, 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 no. Maybe we shouldn't do it anyway. No. We, we tend to compare ourselves to each other. And some people, we say, well, I'm better than they are. But guess what? That's the sin of pride. And then we look at the person over here and we go, whoa, I, I'm not like they are. I, I'm, you know, I wish I was more like them. That's jealousy. You know who we're to compare ourselves to? To God. To God's standard. And what is God's standard? Perfection. Jesus was and is perfect. That's the standard we compare ourselves to, is perfection. Do any of you want to raise your hand this morning and say, I've been perfect every single moment of my life. I've never messed up. I've never sinned. No, you can't do that because we've all messed up. And because we've messed up, because we've sinned, the wages of sin is death. And again, not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God for all of eternity. You and I deserve hell. We've broke the law. We're guilty. And when we're not repentant of our sins, it means we're just full of pride. 
Because we're saying, yeah, I know I haven't been perfect, and and that's the standard. But I'm going to try to do something about it myself. I can get myself out of this. But listen, you can't. There is nothing you can do to possibly save yourself. It's only by God's grace. And if you think otherwise, you're just full of arrogance. But the moment you come to the place where you realize, I am a sinner, I have messed up, I can't do anything to save myself, it's in that moment that you're a candidate for God's grace, His love, His mercy, and His forgiveness. Let me illustrate it for you this way. How many have ever gotten a, a speeding ticket? Let me see a raise of hand. Speeding tickets? Whoa, wow. All right, we got to change our slogan now that we're Exponential Church, a church of lying, thieving, adulterous speeders. I mean, wow, whatever sin we're going to commit, we speed to get there. Wow. Holy cow, every single one of your hands went up. The only ones that didn't were like teenagers. Goodness gracious, people. All right, I got to admit, I've gotten a lot of speeding tickets too in my life. And like you, I try to talk my way out of them. I have my little excuses for, you know, things, you know. Sir, did you know you were speeding? Officer, I wasn't speeding. I was qualifying, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, you were speeding. No, officer, I I wasn't speeding. I just got my hair cut and I just look fast. (laughs) Uh, officer, uh, I was just trying to obey the law. Well, sir, what do you mean by that? Well, you know how you're supposed to keep two seconds between you and the car in front of you and, you know, the car behind you should have two seconds? Well, I was just making sure I had like two seconds between me and the car behind me. But, but sir, there isn't a car behind you. See, I was doing a really good job then. <laughs> how about this? You know, you get pulled over and the guy's like, Man, I've been waiting all day for you. Well, I got here as fast as I could. (laughs) All right, now, I actually haven't said any of those things, but those are things that officers have reported that people have actually said before. Those are true life excuses that people have used. You know, my go-to one is this. This is terrible. Sir, why are you speeding? Well, you know, I'm the pastor of the church just up the road, and (laughs) I pulled the pastor card out. Yeah, that, that, that's worked a couple times. <laughs> However, two summers ago, Lisa and I were out in uh, Yosemite National Park in California. And uh, we're driving along. If you've never been there, you need to go at some point. It's just absolutely beautiful. And it's you know, up and down and twists and turns. And for the most part, it's pretty slow going. And I'm one of those people that I'm like... Uh, the scenic driver, and by scenic, I mean I'm looking at the scenery, right? And I'm not really paying attention to the road, and I'm looking at everything. We were actually on this one stretch of road where it was straight, and it was flat. Uh, we hadn't seen something like this the, the whole trip, but it was still so beautiful. There was this, like, huge field over here on this side, and there was, like, flowers, and there was a stream, and the big mountains are there and everything, and I'm doing my thing, and, you know, and I'm looking at all the, the stuff, and, hey, somebody's getting pulled over oh, that, that somebody's me. <laughs> and I mean, what excuse am I going to, I don't really have an excuse for this. And so 
he comes up and he says, uh, sir, did you know you're speeding? I was like, yeah, I think I probably was. I was like, how bad was I going? He said, you were doing 45 and a 15. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a pretty hefty fine, right? And I didn't, again, I didn't have an excuse. I didn't try to talk my way out of it. I was guilty. He says, sir, I need to see your license and the rental car registration. And so get the registration out. I handed my license. He says, Harrisburg, I used to live in Camp Hill. Have a good day. I deserved punishment, but I didn't get punishment simply because of where I was from. And what we're here today to celebrate is this. You and I deserve punishment for our sins. We deserve hell, but we can get out of it, not because of where we're from, but because of who we know. That we can name drop the name of Jesus and get out of our punishment. See, here's what you need to realize about Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was actually God in the flesh. And God said, I don't like it that my creation, these, these people that I have created that I love so much are gonna go to hell forever. And so I'm gonna go do for them what they can't do for themselves. I'm gonna live a perfect and sinless life. And then I'm gonna die on a cross. I'm gonna shed my blood. I'm gonna pay the penalty for their sins so that they don't have to. Here's what we need to realize. Anybody could have made that claim that I'm here to die for your sins. But Jesus said, you know what? Here's the way I'll prove that I really am God and I really can die for your sins. He said, destroy this body and three days later, I'll bring it back again from the dead. Folks, that's good news. That's really good news. That's why we're here today, that Jesus rose again from the dead. The tomb is empty. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Hell has been defeated. We are free. We are forgiven. Yeah, you can give God a big hand clap for that. We deserve death. But he said, instead, I'm giving you life. What an awesome message that is. That's what Christianity is all about. This looks like a really big book, and some of you say, man, it's really confusing, but I just summarized it for you just in a couple minutes. That you deserve death, but because God loves you so much, he gave you life instead. And again, we should be shouting and clapping and praising God because we're free. We are free. And that's what happens with the second thief on the cross. It says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I love that. He just says, remember me. It's not a fancy prayer that, Oh, Lord Jesus, I beseech thee in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that thou shalt, like, remember a sinner like me. You know, he doesn't say, you know, it's not fancy. He just says, 
Jesus, is there any chance that someone like you would remember someone like me when you enter into your kingdom? And I've been praying all week long that that's the prayer that some of you would pray. That Jesus, I've messed up. I'm guilty of breaking your laws, but I humbly admit that I am a sinner. Would you forgive someone like me? Here's the scary part about all this. You know, the, the two thieves on the cross, they both were guilty. They were both being punished on a cross. They both had the, the presence of Jesus there. They both had the same opportunity, but yet one rejected him and the other asked for forgiveness. And what's scary is this, that we've all gathered together today here in the same building. We've all sang the same songs. We've all seen the same videos. We've all heard the same message. And Jesus is here. He said, wherever two or three people gather together in my name, I am there in your midst. He is here. He is ready to forgive. But some of you are going to say, you know what? This was the stupidest thing I've ever been a part of. I hated the music. I hated the videos. I hated Gilbert's preaching. I think that message was stupid. And that's your right. It's your choice. God isn't going to force himself on you. Again, you got a choice to do that, but my prayer is that you would just say, Jesus, is there any chance that you would forgive someone like me? And the good news is, he will. Jesus says this to the thief, verse 43, here is my solemn promise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. In that very moment, that man was saved. And the Apostle Paul talks about the miracle of salvation in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, when he says this, you are saved by faith in God, who treats us much better than what we want. He treats us much better than we deserve. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done, so that no one can brag about it. Let me reiterate this. There is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't give enough to get your way out of what you deserve, that eternal punishment in hell. You can't do it. I want you to think about that second thief on the cross. He says, Jesus, any chance you would remember someone like me? And Jesus says, today I'll be with you or today you'll be with me in paradise. He was never going to be able to go to a church. Why? Because he's about to die on a cross. He's never going to be able to give a tithe. Why? Because he's about to die on a cross. He's never going to be able to go downtown and serve people. Why? Because he's about to die on a cross. He couldn't turn over a new leaf in life. Turn his life around. Why? Because he's about to die on a cross. It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with Jesus. And please, 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 please get that. You can never be good enough 
to get out of the punishment. It's only because of Jesus' sacrificial death, his burial, his resurrection, proving that he truly had the power over sin and death and darkness that you can be saved. The Bible says that in that moment, all that punishment is put on Jesus. And you're now forgiven. And you're clean. You're perfect. You're set free in the sight of God. We started out this morning by looking at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where Paul said that the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is, is death. But thank you, Jesus, that the verse doesn't stop there. It goes on and it says this, for the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God that he freely gives us is everlasting life found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus died on Friday, but, but the story didn't end there. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. And that's why we're here today, to remember and to celebrate that. Two more scriptures and then we're done. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins to God, he can always be trusted to forgive us and to take our sins away. You are just one prayer of confession away from having all of your sins forgiven and taken away. And when you do that, the Bible would call you then a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. On July 27, 1993, I went from being that first thief on a cross to the second thief on the cross. I went from being full of pride and arrogance and thinking that I could do things to save myself to admitting that, you know what, Jesus, I can't save myself, and it's only because of what you did on the cross that I can be forgiven. Jesus, I am a sinner, and I confessed my sins to him. And in that moment, he gave me a brand new life. That's coming up, what, 23 years this July. Life has never been the same. I have lived both ways. I'm 42 now. So, you know, the first 20, 20 years of my life, I lived for the devil. The last almost 23, I've lived for Jesus. And this life is so much better, and it's the life he wants to give you today. A life where you're free. You deserve death, but he gave you life. That is the power of love. <laughs> That's all right. It happened right at the right time. <laughs> Do you feel the power of love? <laughs> the power of love. <laughs> Can you feel it? <laughs> feel the power of love. <laughs> A very holy moment. We've made, it <laughs> We've made it funny, but it's still true. That is the power of love, that Jesus would die on the cross for you. It's your choice. Are you going to be like the first thief, 
Or are you going to be like the second thief? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what it signifies that, God, you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son, and that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Jesus, thank you that you lived the life that we could never live, and you died for the life that we are living. Father, I pray that the words that you've had me to speak here today, your spirit has taken them and, and amplified them in people's hearts and in people's lives, and that, Lord, it's been crystal clear that there's been no confusion over what we've talked about here this morning. That every single person has come to the place that they realize that, God, I am guilty of breaking your laws. And there's nothing that I can do to save myself. I deserve hell. But God, just as clearly, I hope that they understand that you loved us enough to die in our place. That excruciating death on a cross. And then to prove your power over sin Sickness, disease, death, and darkness, you rose again from the dead. And you want to give us a brand new life. Lord, I pray that there are people here today that would say, Jesus, is there any chance that someone like you would be willing to forgive someone like me? With every head bowed, every eye closed here this morning, if you have never prayed that prayer and asked Jesus for his forgiveness and asked him to come into your life and not only to forgive you, but to take control of your life, to, to be the leader of your life, that it's not about you anymore, but you want it to be all about him. If you've never prayed that before and you're willing to say, Jesus, forgive me, heal me, make me new, give me a brand new life. If that's you, would you raise your hand up nice and high so I can see it here this morning? Just raise your hand up so I can see it. Yep, down here, I can see that. Yep, thank you. Anybody else? Jesus. Yep, back here. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Yep, back there in the back. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me. Yep, over here to my right. Yep. Ma'am, I see your hand. There you go. Yep, over here. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Heal me. Transform me. Make me new. Give me a brand new start, a brand new life. I don't want life to be about me anymore. I want it to be all about you. Up, yep, another hand over here. Thank you, ma'am. Yep. Anybody else? Anyone else? I'm going to ask everyone just to pray this prayer with me. Just repeat it out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth, living a perfect and sinless life, and then dying on the cross so that my sins might be forgiven. I admit I haven't been perfect. I know I deserve death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death as well. Thank you that you're willing to forgive someone like me. Right now, cleanse me. Make me new. Make me whole. Give me a new life through the power of your Spirit. Jesus, thank you for each and every person here this morning that has prayed that prayer for the first time and asked for your forgiveness. They've asked for your leadership. Lord, I just pray that they would realize the power that they now have 
the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of them, that they can have victory over sin, that they don't have to live the old life anymore. That old person is dead. The new person has come alive. Jesus, we thank you for new life. We thank you for this new building and how we've been able to bring it back to life, to be able to be used for your glory and your honor. Father, I just pray that this would just be the the start, not only of new lives that we've seen here today, but a new season of ministry in our church. That many, many more hundreds and then even thousands of people will be able to hear of, of your good news and of your work for us on the cross and your victory over death, your victory over the grave because of our ministry here at Exponential and our ministry as we go out into this community. God, help us not to live lives for ourselves, but help us to live our life fully devoted to you. Help us just to take next steps in this journey with you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give those that made a decision to follow Jesus here today? Really big hand.